What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 48. We're joined today by Natalie Diaz, Brittany Tovar, and Delia Rojas, three attorneys at Emerge Law Group. Emerge Law Group is a premier cannabis law firm with deep knowledge and understanding of all aspects of the cannabis industry. They have experience coast-to-coast and specialize in regulatory compliance and licensing for operators, drafting state laws, and assisting with land appeals and more for legacy, craft, and beyond. Find out more at EmergeLawGroup.com forward slash expertise forward slash cannabis and enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, guys. It's good to have all of you join and um, have a, a representation from Emerge here for the conversation. Yes, thanks for having us, Rob. I really appreciate it. Yeah, excited to do the show. This is exciting. And uh, how many how many different attorneys or different states make up Emerge? I was uh, I kept learning more about it and realized it spanned more than one state, and I. Uh, you know, the the story extended all the way back into Oregon, I saw, and, you know, across maybe seven or more states. Yeah, absolutely. I'll jump in right there. Um, so this is Delia, and, um, yeah, Emerge is, uh, um, we reach across, uh, let's see, we got New York, New Jersey, uh, Colorado, California, uh, Oregon, and Washington that we work in, and um, everything started with Emerge over in Oregon um, with a core group. Um, and, you know, we've been expanding ever since. And we've started with uh, and focused in cannabis and expanded into psychedelics as, we, as we've grown. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a, a really great um, uh, firm to work with, um, honestly. And it's, um, yeah, uh, Natalie. Uh, Brittany. <laughs> yeah, and if, if we if we um, rewind the clock a little bit before uh, all of your involvement with Emerge, were you already working in and around cannabis law, um, or uh, did did that come into the picture later for you in your in your careers? We could go around the the group if you'd like. Yeah, so I'll start. So I actually became interested in cannabis law in my second year of law school. I even petitions in my law school to even have a class about um, cannabis law because I was interested in what it was all about. And, you know, I figured that, um, you know, I really wanted to get some experience in the field and see what this all was about so I could really help people, especially since New Jersey got legalized in 2021. So I was working with, um, he was an attorney at the time, but I was working for a cannabis law attorney in my third year of law school. So me and Brittany, we're, we recently passed the bar this past uh, summer, so we're hey, quite new. Congratulations. Aw, thank thanks. you. We're, <laughs> yes. <That's> so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it's really nice being, you know, in a very new industry in the state in general and just having graduated law school and passing the bar, and, you know, it's, it's, 
it's really, you know, we're helping to frame the groundwork here and it's really exciting stuff. Absolutely. Right. A unique time for the, for the industry there. And for, for law in general, I imagine there's, um, there's few times that a, a brand new industry emerges kind of throughout, throughout history. Uh, it's, it's gotta be cool to be looking at some of those foundational laws and, and seeing how the states are trying to build their little microcosm correctly. Everyone's trying to learn from each other. Um, how about how about you, Brittany? Um, were you involved in uh, anything with cannabis law before uh, passing the bar, or um, <laughs> no, jump so into I it afterwards? Feel like my story should go last, but my involvement or how I was introduced into to cannabis law was kind of a weird roundabout thing. I had been uh, in compliance in a tra- transportation company for several years and was kind of wrapping that up and deciding that I was going to go ahead and graduate with the corporate and business law, but maybe I can try one more internship before I really like seal the deal on like my, my law career and, you know, then taking the bar. So I found an internship for a government body, a U.S. government body. And the idea was that it was going to take me over to D.C. and I was going to be there for however many weeks for an internship. And I was super excited for it. I interviewed, they wanted me to join one of this, one of these agencies I get to the final round where it's like going through background checks and it asks a question of, you know, in the last year, have you consumed any illegal drugs? And at the time, it was already legal in Jersey. And honestly, I had already been going through a rough year and I happened to be taking edibles like once a month, once every few months to like go to sleep because my stress was really taking over. But because I said yes, I decided to to go ahead and not lie because, you know, Law is all about ethics and making sure that you're doing the right thing and not trying to be dishonest and all these different reasons that I figured I should go ahead and just be honest. So I said yes that I had consumed edibles within the last year, which then led to this weird series of like after questions and was I ever in rehab? Was I ever convicted of any kind of crimes? And all these crazy questions that eventually they ended up denying my application to to actually work, even though they had already accepted me, kind of. This was like the final round of, you know, all you need to do is pass a background check. But because I didn't, um, I was unable to proceed with the program. But my mentor, who would have been my mentor, thought that that was quite ridiculous. And he said, actually, I know a guy (laughs) who's looking for cannabis attorneys, and he does this in Jersey, and he lives and, like, works kind of around you. Let me see if you want to go ahead and have an interview with him. So I said yes, and... That ended up becoming my introduction into cannabis law because I started at Emerge as a law clerk when they were willing to take me for a summer. I would have been at this, you know, government yeah. internship. That yeah, oh, man. Okay, now I'm, at, now I'm at Emerge. How interesting is this? How funny. The thing that got me disqualified from one job absolutely, like, propelled me into this one. Is the qualifier and the passion for the next, huh? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah. And Delia? Yeah. Um, so like it, my, you know, my journey to emerge is a little interesting as well. I got into to legal work, um, thinking about the entertainment industry and getting into intellectual property. And, um, my friend one time took me to a cannabis, um, you know, um, networking event and I met people in this industry and I just instantly felt, you know, Basically, these are my people. Like, I, I wanted to work with this industry. And cannabis has been already in my life for so long. Um, it kind of felt like it just was a really good introduction into the legal work that I could be doing. And so I pivoted my 
career a little bit into cannabis, but still utilizing my business and intellectual property, you know, background. Um, and started working in cannabis in 2018 and started working with Emerge in 2020 and um, have been working across, you know, three states at this point ever since. And it's it's amazing to work in, with this industry, with these people and um, helping. Like you said, Rob, it's, uh, you know, it's very rare to be part of an industry that's emerging at this time and um, being part of something within California and then again, seeing it through New Jersey and now with New York just opening up and closing yesterday, it's, it's very, very, um, exciting. There's never a dull day in the cannabis industry and, uh, you know, we're here for it all. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, a, a day or a year in the cannabis space is like two years, uh, or two days in, in any other industry. <laughs> yeah. There's so much going on and uh, so much different, different, um, you know, red tape and different hoops that operations have to jump through as far as their compliance and their tracking and state laws, patient limits, and so on. Um, do you, how do you go about um, addressing the cannabis industry overall with such specifics for each state? Do you really have to specialize there or? I think I heard you, you're covering three. Does everybody kind of take a few or is it possible to uh, approach all of it um, kind of as a lawyer and as an attorney then? So, I mean, maybe Delia could probably speak on this a little bit more, but for sure, um, Natalie and I, we we do kind of help cover the New York and New Jersey areas. They are different laws and do require different, you know, specifics of certain regulations that are just honestly just opposite even of one another between the two states oh, man. but I mean any attorney can of course get into this field but for sure knowing the individual states and their individual rules becomes very important and of course recognizing the differences between that state and maybe any others that you might work with which Delia isn't pro at you get very comfortable in those in those state documents huh I get yeah I get I mean and from my perspective um you know it's it's definitely um it's it's a challenge because of the fact that you know the federal that's federally legal on this you know it's federally legal and then each state therefore has their own regulatory system so working in three states it's there are you know um overarching challenges that every state has faced um you know and i could go through those but like individually it's definitely a challenge because everyone does something differently um and it seems like we could all learn from each other but every state still has their own challenges and um so it's it's definitely um you know it's um a difficult it's it, it's a challenge to go through all states and it it but we we work we work with those different challenges and try to face them individually on each state. So what I mean by that is that, like, you know, we have the overarching challenges such as, um, you know, state laws, then local regulations and um, individual type of uncertainties and things like that that we can um, think about as we we practice in each state um, and and, um, you know, face each of these challenges. Excuse me, sorry. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's a uh, it's got to be a challenge to to manage that on on the software side of the game. I'm, I've dealt with just the track and trace elements from one state versus the next, and oh yeah, sometimes there are those reciprocal things or those correlations between like Colorado and Montana or the way two states are doing something. Mm-hmm. But then you have states like California that's just got to be. <laughs> It's got to be unique, who um, kind of puts, flips the whole compliance thing on its head and requires some different um, kind of some different hurdles and things like that. So I can't imagine from the from the law side, uh, really what it entails to support. Uh, do you do you kind of learn more as you take cases uh, as an attorney or I mean, do you do a lot of studying initially to come up to speed as a expert or as someone knowledgeable in that? Uh, or is it a kind of a combination of both when it comes to learning more and like approaching the knowledge set that's required? Yeah, that's actually a very good question, Rob. So that's like actually really challenging for us to begin with when there's these new laws and regulations in place because of the fact also of the federal illegality of cannabis. Um, so it's up basically to the state to make these regulations and they delegate so much authority to the municipalities. So this is actually the first time in history where the municipalities have more governance than the federal government does over this. And, you know, because it's so regulation based, it's completely anew. And that's why it's so important to talk to our colleagues and have a team in this industry because We need to interpret the regulations like on the fly sometimes, and especially with these regulatory agencies, they don't get back to you immediately when clients have these pressing issues. So this has definitely been a joint effort. Yeah. Right. Like tag along with that. The idea that, you know, on the one hand, there's, of course, your own interest that gets piqued when you're in this industry and what's going on and what new things are happening or just generally like how you can help somebody. But every client has different issues that they're facing, which is part of just... I mean, I imagine it's part of most businesses, but in particular because of all these different like series of federal versus state versus local, you know, things that you're just kind of always juggling. Every client in this in this space has a very particular very particular issue. So while we can study as much as we want on just the fly certain things that that are happening, there are other things where we absolutely have to go and get into depth into areas that we wouldn't have expected because of some weird nuance that this particular state hasn't covered or considered that now should be because mm-hmm. you know, I see. Interesting. Yeah. So, so sometimes then you, you do have to kind of learn, you really need to learn or, or find the research or as you said, you know, even interpret like a new law on the fly or, or start to hang some, some more structure around a law that may have been, uh, you know, written and untested. Oh yeah, definitely. And then like, cause like the biggest thing is like, you know, we have there's state the state regulations, obviously, and then the local jurisdictions um, in many of these states can then have their own regulatory scheme, which can then make it a you know there's a whole nother level of learning what um, how are, they actually interact, huh? If they yeah. cross each other out or work together, exactly, or like additional permits or. Maybe the state says, hey, you can have any of these licenses in any of the state. But then this jurisdiction says only retail or only cultivation or it has to be this or that. And so the like we can learn only so much at one time and then focus into the jurisdictions and requirements for that specific client. So it's a constant learning, um, you know, it's a constant 
job, like learning on the job, but then at the same time, we're also (laughs) trying to constantly keep up to date with all of these regulations and changes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely like the, uh, I, I can, I can appreciate and respect that continuous learning aspect that it, they must require, right? Having to stay on top of the trends and see what, what new state is clearing, clearing which laws. Has there been one state overall that you guys have worked with that's um, the most litigious, or I guess for the comparison on the East Coast versus the the West Coast or anything like that that you could make from more of a general perspective? Yeah, New York definitely has seen way more lawsuits in comparison than New Jersey, that's for sure. Yeah, it's been uh, New York has definitely been in the headlines as the licensing has been I haven't followed it completely, but things have just been uh, paused and delayed with folks paying already for facilities and who knows what else. Yes. Yep. Right. But absolutely. So New York's making a name for itself there uh, (laughs) early on in the industry. Yeah. And and then now at this point for on the West Coast side, you know, uh, of California, it just seems like there's a lot going on. Um, whether it's, you know, contracts between partners, contracts for sales of, com- of companies, or if it's going to be anything dealing with licensing between the jurisdictions, because there's a lot going on uh, between the differences between annual and provisional licenses and their um, rights between that, which is a whole nother <laughs> uh, discussion. But there's, yeah, at this point, it seems like it, there's a lot going on when, when it comes to these types of litigation and figuring out how to iron out these, uh, the issues that surround them. And is there a, a, a secret hotline or red phone that all of the eMERGE attorneys have when, when there's an issue like that that comes up? <laughs> oh, you can't say that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure and edit out the location here. Okay, so. like, erase the IP, erase the IP on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's definitely interesting with the uh, just brand new laws and just completely untested process. Um, is there another industry that's similar to this from the um, like litigation perspective or from this state-by-state uh, differences? Or is all of law kind of like this with the differences in each state and locality? It's definitely not I, all like this. Oh, Delia, you go. Yeah, no, I, I was going to agree. Yeah, no, I was going to say that definitely not um, the only industry, but... Um, I would say it's maybe similar to alcohol. I mean, alcohol, um, you know, in every diff- every jurisdiction, there's different laws. I've um, also worked in the alcohol industry, and, you know, like California has the most liberal ones where it can be sold till, you know, 2 a.m., and there's states where you can't sell it on Sundays, and there's other states yeah. like in Oregon and stuff where you can hmm. only sell liquor in certain places. So. That, but at the same time, cannabis is, from my experience, the most regulated industry that's out there right now. And my perspective and my opinion, personally, overregulated. Um, overregulated. Industry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So some red tape is good, of course, right? To keep everyone honest and, and keep things tracked, but it, it can be taken to an extreme. Are there cases and conversations happening then now that will be historic, you know, from your perspective when it comes to like state governance and the way that the cannabis industries 
unraveling or is it is it still too early to, to kind of call that out that's a very interesting question i for me personally i would think that right now the conversation about reschedule versus descheduling cannabis on the federal level is going to be historical because That's whatever the, the whenever the whatever the decision is going to be um it, it it's going to change everything um and how we move forward and it probably won't change again in our lifetime at least you know because it takes a lot of time to to uh change the federal law um on something like this so it, it, if it is rescheduled or descheduled like that's going to change everything. And that's the monumental one that uh, will, re will really have the impact outside of the states kind of adding their medical and rec programs. Absolutely. Because yeah. like, I, you know, I have my own feelings and concerns with the rescheduling versus the descheduling and, you know, each one can have its own effect on the rest of the country um, yes. and each state. So it's very interesting there seeing where folks lie and kind of what the different perspectives are on it. I think that um, in general, I'm kind of for progress overall in mm -hmm. both, both steps feel like a step in, in that direction, right? Um, increasing some clarity and, and decreasing the intensity of, of any, uh, you know, punishments or any involvement there. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I see that argument. And then I also see folks saying, Hey, if you're going to de if you're going to reschedule, just deschedule. Um, but I, it feels like a stretch at times when you look at cannabis from the medical perspective versus recreational. I think that throws another wrench into cannabis with mm -hmm. kind of differing parties where the alcohol industry is a little more united in, in what that end user <laughs> is after. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> That's definitely a good point. Um, yeah, it's it's... It's it's definitely a, a conversation that needs to be had, especially right now. And I just think, I mean, from my perspective, rescheduling can cause other um, potential issues in the industry and maybe something that we're not necessarily looking for at the end of the day, like as an industry as a whole. Right. Um, it seems like the, the reschedule would potentially involve the pharmaceutical Exactly. side of the space very heavily and have seen that sort of emer emerging and, and getting started in the psychedelics side of things is seems to be very um, clinically based and, and kind of pharmaceutically driven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then once it's, it's it, it, even though, I mean, cannabis started that way too, which I don't think, I mean, the, the medical like premise, I don't think is, is, um, you know, a bad thing or anything that's I think that's great that we're looking at it in that perspective and I support that 100% the schedule 2 aspect though of, of allowing the pharmaceutical companies to jump in on this game I would say is what I'm concerned about on that schedule 2 right. um, rescheduling you know we have no idea what that's going to entail what those new laws would take for even the state companies you know um if it's Schedule 2, that means only pharmacies. It's a pharmaceutical, so only certain companies could sell it at that point. So what does that mean for all dispensaries? Uh, so even those state licenses then may come under question with that schedulization. Yeah, and that's my concern, you know. Yes. Um, huh. 
that's what I'm thinking about is that these pharmaceuticals could come in um, and potentially that's just the federal law for a pharmaceutical for, to sell a pharmaceutical or a schedule two drug. There's different licenses, different requirements. What does that entail for all of the dispensaries that are state licensed right now? Oh man. Imagine the, uh, the paperwork required on that, <laughs> on that conversion for the nation. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, and then again, here you go with the overregulation and these poor operators that are working on getting these licenses, you got the state level, you got the local level, permits, licenses, constantly uh, constantly being regulated. And now we're going to maybe have another federal permit they have to get. Um, I, again, I don't, I'm not quite certain that that's the case of what would happen, but that's my concern. Feels likely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for an industry with so much red tape already adding something else, another license or another hoop to jump through, uh, does not does not help. It's one of the hardest business types to start, be just because of the license acquisition and the pressures and needs around that. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, Brittany or Natalie, do you guys like have any have any thoughts? I'm sorry if I'm taking over. <laughs> oh yeah, all good there, Delia. Uh, yeah, any thoughts on the um, on the deschedule or reschedule? If you had to guess. With what you've seen so far, um, what would be yeah. the best outcome, or what would what was your preference there? There's there's pros and cons with everything. I just feel like if it got legalized on the federal level, then what you're going to see, especially in the cannabis industry, is you're going to see these you know major for profit corporations coming in and dominating everything to an even worse scale than it already is going now with these multi state operators. You know, you're not going to be the truly little... multi-state at that yeah. point. Exactly. It's going to be like, you know, um, like Tito's vodka or, you know, Jack Daniels. You're not going to see those, you know, small mom and pop places or, you know, yeah, you're not be able a... to get the same quality. And but at the same time, it would be good to have that because then so many other people who have been you know, incarcerated or affected by the war on drugs and even, you know, for the class one classification of cannabis to, you know, be able to enjoy it actually and, you know, have some freedom from, you know, these harsh restrictions. So that's, that would be a major benefit. But, and then also if it got reclassified, especially to a schedule three, it would be, you know, pharmaceutical companies running this. So it's just, it's, it's very Hmm. hard to say, you know, what would be good for the future if things were to turn out a certain way. But I do like think either one almost puts the the reins in a different like kind of in, in a different uh, industry's hands. So either, you know, from the big corporate multi-state or global companies that would get involved versus the pharmaceutical companies. huh? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And for an industry that's already seen a lot of um a lot of like taxation and issues around that and, and, you know, had to pull through a lot, whole lot of things, uh, imagining those, those reins or the controls going anywhere else is hard, but also imagining cannabis taking the next steps as a legitimate industry without that feels, uh, impossible actually to have the stability for like institutional investment and, you know, be able to do like a global trade or interstate commerce, I think is, is really necessary for the space. I wonder mm-hmm. if someone will come up with a third alternative or something along the way. 
That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, there's the there's a million dollar question everyone can think about over the Christmas break. <laughs> there you go. The multi million dollar question. There you go. <laughs> so you guys are are working to to help folks get licensed in in their states uh, when they at which point in their business creation um, can they come to emerge for assistance? I mean, I can go ahead and start that, but I mean, obviously, my fellow colleagues here, I'm sure, could finish it. Uh, businesses can come to us at any point. Um, we help with the formation, the operations, the financing documents. We help with the real estate aspect. Honestly, we are a full service, uh, law firm and we are more than happy to help anybody at any stage in their cannabis journey. Um, what we do often find is that, I mean, I mean can't even, it's, it's really hard to say because even in Jersey and New York, so many businesses are just starting now. These are very state specific, you know, rules and they have very specific ownership restrictions so we're seeing a bunch of people who are even just starting from the from scratch just wanting to be formed as well as of course anybody else who's already gone kind of through a process and maybe they're looking for real estate and just need help with sealing that deal to make sure that it's compliant with the state reg so it it could be anywhere and everywhere and everything and all at once so we're, we're more than willing to help and yeah i i feel like that's kind of where i think we stand <laughs> what do you guys? yes and i know that there's there's so many folks that want that confidence, that the legal review and, and, and backing and what they're doing, especially before they put money and money down or lock in any properties. Yeah, it's, well, a, like that's one of it's the, quite the, a gamble. The beautiful sides about our group. So, I mean, while there are law firms who are more than willing to take anybody's money just because you might have any question, we are absolutely the firm who will tell you, hey, maybe you might want to consider doing this on your own. And, you know, it's a pretty simple process. So don't maybe waste your money just yet on attorney's fees. And like having us re- review certain things that you can do on your own. At the same time, we're also very much, you know, willing to tell them these are certain things you really do need to have somebody's eyes on. So if you don't want to work with us because maybe you're not ready for that cost just yet, but maybe, of course, pretty much anywhere else, it's probably going to cost you even more. We're going to say, OK, well, let's let's come out with a plan to kind of still help you, even if it's not necessarily in the exact way that you might have originally wanted. But you definitely still need because so many things in the space require, you know, compliance eyes on this making sure that things are exactly the way it needs to be to comply with like certain regulations whether whether it be with the state with you know the municipality whether with just the planning board where we're here to help you and we're going right. to we can do it you do not want to be audited or surprised by anything <laughs> on on that side of the fence yeah and i just i'll just want to add really quick that like our firm um you know like Brittany said, we are doing it from beginning to end and not just with with the state licensing or with the cannabis permitting. We're helping with planning board and with all of the other local permitting. Um, so, you know, the, the whole process to get um, operational as a cannabis business is um, not, you know, it's, it's not just one application or two. It's a lot of different applications. It's a lot of analysis. And so... Um, you know, not only are we looking at where, you know, the zoning or um, the space or the regulatory um, things, we're, you know, we're trying to look at everything all at once to make sure, like Penny said, everything all at once. Um, we're looking at, <laughs> we're looking at it all to make sure that you're, to help give you the best possibility to be permitted. Because um, obviously there's no guarantee in any type of jurisdiction for any type of permitting, but we look at everything to make sure that, you know, you have that best opportunity that you can. 
right really setting setting you up for success and, and and trying to get everything in your favor that that's possible in that regard this the different licensing around each state is is chaos as well looking at that i i applied for the missouri social equity lottery last year and uh, i'm going to be applying again this year in the fall uh, i haven't looked too many at too many other states but um, I'm hoping to get back over the Midwest eventually with a license, so I, I'll have a reason to contact Emerge one of these days. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fingers crossed on that lottery. I think it'll be again next October like, when they draw. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's 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 crazy with to like to you know pay attention to all of these, how long it takes. Um, you know, it, it takes like six months to be part of these like lotteries and things like that. And so, um, I think, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a, a really like a industry of patience and integrity and, right. um, determination. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's intelligent to do so or not, right. Just keep on. <laughs> Stay stubborn. I think the industry definitely has that streak that helps it helps it stay uh, stay moving along. Yeah, um, I agree with that. <laughs> if we switch gears here to the psychedelic side of things, um, in your respective states, how are things progressing uh, in in that perspective? I know there are cities that have decrimmed different psychedelics. There are ketamine clinics kind of popping up and and things along those lines. Uh, I've attended a few psychedelic conferences and learned about some different medicines and derivatives that companies are attempting to make, but haven't seen a lot of um, like progress or anything that would directly connect to the consumers yet. It's all kind of bubbling in the background with businesses and, and research from what I've seen. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll speak first to California. So California uh, has had a couple of state bills on the line, and the most recent one, unfortunately, did not pass. But, um, you know, it's been in the works, and it seems like, you know, every, it, this bill has been on the deck for a couple of years now, I believe. And every year it seems like it's getting a little bit closer um, for psychedelics to be decriminalized at the very minimum and then hopefully legalized oh, wow. on the state level. I see. Um, that would really help. That'd be yeah. the that'd be starting the ball rolling for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So with yes. San Francisco, rec they've decrimmed, but it's only in the city area or the yes. Bay Area. Yeah, and Oakland as well. Oakland um, also does that, and I, and so and I believe that Colorado has a few as well. But yeah, it's just the very local jurisdictions in California right now that have um, decriminalized it and actually allowed for some. Um, sale. I know Oakland has um, a few clinics that have psychedelics available for sale for medical users. Um, uh, yeah, that's fast. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's you know the Bay Area. They always got to take the first step ahead, right? Um, yeah. Yep. Jump right in. <laughs> and then you know, so with Oregon, um, that's where you know our firm really hones in on um, our firm. Um, our shareholders and partners of the firm were uh, writers and consultants on Measure 108 in Oregon, which legalized, I mean, 
legal uh, allowed for the clinical sale and the clinics that are now being permitted now in Oregon. And so Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, so our yes, yeah, so they we've been working on that, you know, have uh, my goodness, I'm forgetting the year off the top of my head, but um yeah, for Oregon, our firm is in the forefront of that and our shareholders and partners were the writers and helping and we have many clients in Oregon that are, are working on getting those permits, um, and we continue to help uh, structure and form the um, legal uh, avenues for um, psychedelic clinics in Oregon. Um, and also for, I believe, um, not only just you know psilocybin, but I also, as you said, ketamine as well. Um, so we have clients in various types of psychedelics, um, uh, in Oregon as well. That's, that's great. I love to hear that, that the, the businesses are already springing up in those locations that have allowed it. Um, yeah. Shout out to those cities that have decrimmed, uh, Las Vegas. Come on. Yes. <laughs> we'll try to get <laughs> it course. done. I Let's feel like do a, this, right? a lot of folks would appreciate it in Las Vegas for <laughs> all kinds of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> But the psychedelic space is very intriguing, both from the like health perspective and what it can actually do for folks from, you know, helping with long-term trauma and PTSD kinds of things like blockers and things that could really catch people up in life for a while that you could get over and around um, in a healthy manner. But also from the like microdosing and like recreational side mm-hmm. for folks that don't drink or want to um, hang out a little mo- a little more naturally. I guess yeah. is one way to put it. I could see a lot of avenues for psychedelia uh, expanding in, in cannabis footsteps and kind of adjacent to it as well, as I think it's, from my understanding, it's people in the psychedelic side are very, very much trying to distinguish psychedelics from cannabis to avoid some of the pitfalls that that the cannabis space has fallen into around CPGs and kind of price wars and things like mm-hmm. that. Very interesting. Yeah. Um yeah, it's, it's um, you know, it's a little bit of both, I think, like trying to separate it as its own industry, but at the same time saying that it needs to be, you know, available in such a way that cannabis is for medical patients. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You know, we don't want it to be, you know, we want to iron out the regulatory hurdles that we felt through cannabis um, and hopefully not feel them as we go through the psychedelic, um, you know, the, the development of the psychedelic industry. But, um, you know, it's kind of hard to, to uh, th- th- you know, that's, that's like the, the comparison there. That's what people are going to see. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, and I it's think hard that, to not to not draw that directly, kind of like yeah, talking exactly. about cannabis, you sort it you can fall back pretty quickly to referencing alcohol or another vice or pharmaceuticals or something that is just relatable in the conversation, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So it's just, you know, um, but we, hopefully it's going to have a different rollout than we did with cannabis, maybe hopefully shorter than cannabis was. Cause obviously, you know, it's been around in California with prop Two Fifteen since 1996 so yeah yeah uh, <laughs> it probably will be shorter than <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's a little shorter than that but you know and you know i do have um hope in this new you know this generation coming forward and as we work through everything 
uh, and education, people learning about what these um, these products can do for you um, medically and just, you know, in general. And so, you know, I, I hope that moving forward that it wouldn't be as long of a rollout or, you know, as much of a... Um, well, what's the word I'm thinking? Like, you know, it's just it, that it would just be a little bit more accepted as we go through it and, and able to, to get that. I think that's the word you're looking for. Destigmatized. That's for sure. Yes. Thank you. Destigmatized. Thank you, Brittany. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Kind of the kind of people have seen it happen already and have opened their minds to, you know, other substances and healing from them. It's, uh, it's a path I think we can definitely follow. Uh, are, are there any conferences or, or events coming around the corner for Emerge in 2024. What's next for you guys on the on the project portfolio? Yeah, so we want to go to the National Cannabis Festival in uh, Washington, D.C., the weekend of 420, because it's also psilocybin, psychedelic-friendly, oh. and also uh, cannabis. Awesome. Yep, so we're hoping to get the rest of the team out west on board so they, have to, so they can participate in the psychedelic conversations. Especially because they've been so part of like even the formation of the laws out on the West Coast. So having it having it happen over here on the East Coast is almost like coming full circle from where they started to where we're at now. Yes, I imagine now they, they you guys can sound like the the experts in the circle um, with with the organ on well, the resume. Yeah. There's not very many people that can say that. <laughs> no, absolutely, we are part of the part of the teams that have started these these laws and regs and we are the experts experts in it as much as we wouldn't even like, you know, shy away from, from gloating. This is entirely our space and we're absolutely excited for, for what's to come. Yeah, that's excellent. Awesome guys. Yeah. And the, and the national cannabis fest looks great for folks that, that aren't aware happening up in over in DC. Again, I saw a little bit of a bit of it this last year and I uh, got some FOMO there. So we'll see where I end up this 420. <laughs> see you there. That's the problem. I think we need more cannabis holidays because you know folks can't tr folks can't travel to all these four twenties. We need to have like eight twenty and twelve twenty. Yeah, I mean we got to get more seven ten. Um, there you go. We got to get more seven ten ones out there, and then uh, what's the date for psychedelics now that we need to do? Which is like I believe eight or nine. Nine. Hey, does, does psychedelia have a day? I believe it does. I have been told. I think maybe it's, it's like Bicycle Day um, when Albert <laughs> Hoffman um, had his bicycle ride on LSD. I think yeah, it is in September, that's maybe. The, yeah, that's that's the no, that's April nineteenth. Bicycle Day. Is oh, that, oh yeah, April nineteenth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I definitely yeah, but I I swear there's one in September for for um, psilocybin for mushrooms. Uh, that's I think it's nine. 10 or nine, something, but you know, we should have all of these. These should all be holidays. <laughs> yeah. We'll, and we'll leave that for, uh, our listeners to figure out on their own. That's a little, a little bit of homework here before the next episode. There you go. And I, I, I will be finding that out as well because, um, man might as well celebrate if there's a day set aside, <laughs> but yeah, it's been excellent to talk with you three and, and learn a little bit about what you're doing at Emerge and, and, and your past in the space. I think you're, you're getting involved at such a promising time. It's going to be awesome to revisit this conversation uh, in a year or, you know, so is time and see what you've encountered um, in, in both spaces. So, yeah, I wish, I wish you guys uh, success uh, with Emerge and, and looking forward to see, you know, who else you can help on the, on the litigatory side. And 
In the meantime, where can our listeners find out more about Emerge and, and connect with you? Dahlia, do you want to jump on that? For sure, they can reach us at emerge.com. <laughs> it has all of our bios, all of our different expertise, and uh, I believe most of our contact information. So that's a, a good Yeah, one. exactly. You, know, you Emerge, yeah, you can read us, reach us on our website. Um, there you'll find our blogs. You can sign up for our um, weekly newsletters. We do Cannabeats, which is every other week for cannabis um, updates and just the, you know, um, hot topics that are going on for that week or for that couple of weeks. We also do psychedelics, which it does for psychedelics. So we have two newsletters um, if you guys are interested in that. Um, And then um, we, on that website, we also have all of our webinars that we're going to be doing, um, any of the panels that we'll be talking at. And then of course, all of our contact information. If you guys want to reach out, always happy to answer any questions. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.